Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 193. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, what's going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? Before we get started, we have to take a minute to thank today's sponsor, and today's sponsor is On Deck. On Deck is a business you can trust with over $2 billion in small loans to date and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. On Deck is changing the way small businesses get financed. To explore the small business loan options that On Deck offers, head over to the show notes associated with today's episode and find the On Deck logo. All right, enjoy today's show. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Hosea Rosenberg. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? Every day, Eric. Yes, sir. That is what I like to hear. So, hailing from New Mexico, Hosea Rosenberg began his path to culinary fame while earning a degree in engineering physics from the University of Colorado. Hosea's passion to cook professionally drove him to work his way up the restaurant ranks where he cooked under the guidance of established chefs such as Wolfgang Puck, Kevin Taylor, and Dave Query, ultimately landing his first head chef position at Boulder's Dandelion Restaurant. After his tenure at Dandelion, it was the Big Red F Restaurant Group that became home, where he served as executive chef at Jack's Fish House for six years. Hosea won numerous awards, but most notably, he's the winner of Season 5 of Bravo TV's Top Chef. Uh, Today, Hosea is the chef owner of Black Belly Market in Boulder, Colorado. Chef, this is just a huge aerial view of who you are and what you're all about. I can't wait to learn more about you and, and what has made you successful. But before we do that, we need to get that inspirational, motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. So what do you have for us today? Well, I learned this from one of my chefs a long time ago, but every day you go to work and you didn't learn something new, you've wasted your time. So you always need to improve every single day. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's just one lesson from Chef Thomas Keller that he emphasizes is that constant need to just be a little bit better. I feel like we always are striving for perfection, but that never really happens. But you can always get just a little bit better. Um, What do you think about that? Absolutely, and it's not just from the top down. I mean, you can learn from everyone. I learn tricks and, you know, things from my dishwashers, from my prep cooks, from the people on the floor. Uh, We're all there to make each other better, and a restaurant business either gets better or it gets worse every single day, so you need to decide what side you're going to be on. Awesome. So I gave the listeners a quick aerial view of your journey to where you got today, but why don't you give us just some snapshots of your journey, the path you took, because... Like a lot of people in this industry, you didn't necessarily start off with an aim to be a restaurateur one day. Like You started with a degree in engineering physics. That's right, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I never set out to be a chef or a restaurant owner. Um, I was always good at math. Uh, When I was in school, I was kind of a nerd, and uh, 
I always thought I was going to end up in astronomy or physics, some, something like that. And so over the years, I really fell in love with cooking, but that was because I was putting myself through school working in restaurants. It wasn't because I thought this was what I should be doing or would be doing. Uh, it's just something that came naturally. And over the years, I really fell in love with the restaurant lifestyle, the cooks, the the whole the whole thing of it. And, you know, obviously cooking is a great skill to have, and it, you can take it anywhere. You know, I could... I thought about this long ago and I decided to be a chef. You know, this is a skill you can take with you wherever you go. It's not uh, bound by by borders. You know, you can you can get a job as a cook anywhere on the planet because everybody's got to eat. So I really thought it was a versatile tool, but also something I, I really did find myself drawn to kitchens. And while I was in college, I spent more and more time in, in restaurants and really started to fall in love with it. So you, you got some great experience. Some of the names we mentioned were Wolfgang Puck and Kevin Taylor and Dave Query. I mean, were you intentionally going to work for these people? Like, how did you land uh, these jobs under such great names in the industry? Um, well, I've always, always uh, been very competitive and very, um, you know, I was a straight-A student in school, and I always just tried to challenge myself as much as I could, but also be the best at something if mm-hmm. I'm going to. Uh, apply myself towards it. So when I got restaurant jobs, I always tried to work for the most successful or the best chefs or the, you know, the best restaurants so I could learn the most in the amount of time I was there. So I was fortunate enough to grab some jobs from really great restaurant tours. And while I was in these jobs at these jobs, and I had a, you know, a lot of other restaurants I worked at over the years too. Um, I always tried to excel and really push myself while I was there, whether or not I was going to be a chef or a, restaurant owner i always thought that you know if i'm going to spend my time doing this i might as well try to be the best at it so can you like reflect on a time chef where you just knew that this was going to be more than a job like when did it click when was your aha moment when you kind of stopped and you said hey this isn't just a for now job to help me get through college this is going to be my career this is what i want to do um well it actually didn't happen in the restaurant it happened at my other job which was doing astrophysics i had just graduated college and I was working in this laboratory and I was studying solar flare, uh, coronal mass ejections, doing, doing what I thought I was meant to do. And all I could think about was cooking in restaurants. And, uh, I had this moment where I just said, screw it. I quit. You know, I, I don't want to do this and I don't want to sit in a cubicle. I want to be around people. I want to be in a social environment. And to me, cooking was always really exciting, and it was a challenge, and it was uh, it was just it was just sexy to me, you know. And I just mm. thought, you know, this is going to upset some people, and it's going to confuse some people, and um, I'm not going to make as much money, at least right out of that. Um, but you know, you gotta you gotta live for yourself, and you gotta choose things that are going to make you happy, not yeah. things that are going to make you money. And Absolutely. so, at least at the time, and this was. This was a decade ago when chefs didn't make any money. It wasn't something that you did for fame or to be, you know, hopes of being on TV or anything like that. It was strictly out of the love for food and the business. So when you so that's, when you made that commitment to this career, like how did you start acting differently? What steps did you take? How did you surround yourself? I mean, what was the plan? Did you have a plan, or did you just go to work and your hard work, you know, lead you to better opportunities? Uh, my plan was to go to culinary school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was going to study and work at great restaurants and make my way up, which is what I thought I needed to do. Uh, but I had worked for Kevin Taylor, who owns numerous restaurants in Denver, 
uh, while I was in school. He had Dandelion Restaurant. I, I worked there while I was in college, and I told him I was moving to New York to go to the Culinary Institute of America, and he just asked me why. You know, very <laughs> matter of factly, why are you doing that? And I said, well, I you know I need a degree, don't I? And he said, no, you you've already got a physics degree. You've been in the business for years now. You you've got it. And yeah. it is a very untangible thing, but he made me feel very confident in it. He said, what I needed to do was go work for somebody amazing and learn and be paid at the same time at the very minimum, just become a stage somewhere. You don't need to borrow you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to school when it's something you've already got in you. You just need to hone your skills, learn some of the basics, you know, learn butchery and sauce making and management and all those skills that are very important running a restaurant, uh, but you don't necessarily need to pay somebody. And um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I never dissuade anyone from going to culinary school, but for me, practical experience is so much more valuable mm-hmm. than a degree when it comes to cooking and, and running restaurants. And so for me, it doesn't matter if you went to school or not. When you're applying for a job, I want to see where you've worked and what you've accomplished at those jobs. Yeah, you know, when you're in it too, like you know that you're going to like it because you're already doing it. And so many people, they go to culinary school right out of high school and they fork over all this money and then they get this degree and then they get into the work and they're like, what the Christ did I do? This is awful. <laughs> so yeah, you, absolutely. Like you said, you had it. And which brings me to the next part of the interview where we talk about those it factors. I mean, Kevin Taylor knew about these uh, it factors. I mean, what would you say your it factors are, your habits, your characteristics, your traits, the things that you, you know, make you successful in this industry? Um, and I don't say this to sound cocky or brag or anything, but I, I've always considered myself a very intelligent person. Mm. I like to think of myself as the smartest guy in the room. And uh, for me, I just studied up. I studied hard. I, I started buying cookbooks. I bought all the books that they give you at these culinary schools and studied at home. When I wasn't working, I would think about the things we cooked that day in the restaurant. And I would look it up and try to understand why risotto does what risotto does when you cook it right, things like that. So to me, I've always taken a very uh, pragmatic approach where I think, like, how is the best, what's the best way I can make something and what's the most efficient way I can make something? And and then there's also no no uh, substitution for lots of hard work and dedication. You know, I'm, I, I work hard, I work fast, I work clean, but I try to work smart. And so for me, that it thing was just really understanding what we're doing and not just going through the motions. Mm, absolutely. And you said you're an intelligent guy and you just happen to, sometimes you're just like the most intelligent guy in the room, but what is intelligence to you? I mean, I believe there's different forms of intelligence. I mean, there's book smarts where you can just, you know, remember equations and just, you know, you're in a walking encyclopedia or is it the social intelligence where you can just read people and you can see the strengths and, and talents in others. And I mean, where, where, where are your intelligences? That's even it's probably such an oxymoron that I just said that. But <laughs> that's, a hard, that's a hard one to answer. I think it's it's again it's one of those slightly intangible things. Um, for me, I look for that in my employees. Where somebody comes in and it doesn't matter what job I gave you, if it's washing dishes or if it's peeling carrots or if it's cooking a steak, are you approaching it with with thoughtfulness and care? And are you thinking about the steps ahead, a lot of cooking, I, I equate to a chess game where when you're playing chess, you're always thinking three moves ahead. Mm. And when you're in the restaurant, you need to be thinking multiple moves ahead. You don't just worry about what's in front of you right now. It's, it's, it's what am I going to do next? How am I going to get this done and clean up and also get my other 
tasks done. Um, if you're a line cook, you're doing that all the time because you've got all these tickets hanging and you're cooking chicken and fish and steak and vegetables and sauce and you, you have to make it all happen at the same time. So the people that are really good at multitasking um, and not just knowing the motions, but really considering why it's all happening and why we're doing things in this order. Uh, one thing that I always tell my, all my cooks, my whole staff is that everything we do in the restaurant has, has purpose. Like nothing's just random. I didn't decide to just do this or that or put this thing here. It all has reason. You may not get it, but please, if you don't answer, ask the question, I can answer it for you. Why, why we do something in a certain order or why something's put in a specific place. To me, it all has um, thought behind it. And so for me, it's, it's just being really thoughtful and um, looking at the big picture. How does everything, every action I do in the restaurant affect the big picture and will it make it a more positive work environment and a better product for the customers? So when you're talking about intelligence, you're talking about being able to project into the future and to see the big picture, the big scheme of how everything uh, fits in, the the cause and the effect of what will happen if you do things a certain way. Um, you also mentioned, mentioned your curiosity and then just always looking to, to kind of know why and the reason behind things. I think that's another really uh, popular characteristic of successful people in this industry. It's, it's not enough to just do things. They need to really get to the bottom of why we need to do things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every great chef, you mentioned Thomas Keller earlier, every great chef has a philosophy behind what they do. They have a mission statement, uh, but they, have, they also instill their mantra in their cooks, the people that make it in those restaurants for long periods of time are the ones that are really following up and their actions support that philosophy every day. Yeah. Chef Rosenberg, can you take one of these it factors, whether it be your intelligence, your curiosity, your pragmatic approach, or your just desire to learn and get better every day and apply it to a story where that it factor really shone through like a specific example of what you did and how it came out? Um, <laughs> Uh, I could use the example of being on Top Chef. I don't think I was the most talented chef on that show. I wasn't the one with the most experience. I didn't have a restaurant. A lot of the people on that show had a lot more experience and talent than I did. Uh, but I took it all in as a as almost like a math problem. Like, how am I going to get straight A's on this test? And so I... Every time we had a challenge, I really thought about this isn't this isn't about how I'm going to look on TV. This is how am I going to impress the judges the most? And it's mm -hmm. not necessarily raw talent all the time with these challenges. It's you got to factor in a very short amount of time, limited equipment, um, people fighting, jockeying over equipment and over ingredients. And so for me, when I was on the show, especially towards the end, I really tried to think about what's the smartest way to tackle this challenge instead of. How do I impress everybody with my mad skills? You know, mm. and so I think that really helped me help me take the title. Awesome, great stuff. So uh, we can learn a lot from successes, but I think we learn the most from failures. So, chef, share a time with us where you just really fell hard on your ass with a failure, and what did you learn from that failure? Whether it be in the kitchen or in the life, and tell us how you're better today because of it. Um, well, uh, I've had a few for sure, and I think. Everybody in this business experiences that. Uh, one was um, a business I'd started before I started Black Belly, which was a um, food truck. And I did it with a couple partners, and we were going to take over the country. Our, our business plan was to open up multiple trucks, and we had this beautiful Airstream trailer that we spent a lot of money on. And um, what I learned quickly 
and and it continued to resonate for me throughout was that if you're going to go into partnerships, it's like going into a marriage, and you need to make sure that everybody that's in this partnership is is on the same page and has the same goals and will respect each other's uh, decisions and and opinions, and you know we're all fighting the same fight. And uh, you know, for me now, I have I have investors in the restaurant, but I have a, a singular business partner who helps me steer the ship, and um, we're we're totally on the same page when it comes to everything, and he knows that. My strengths are in the kitchen and with the crew, and he lets me do that without micromanaging me and doesn't second-guess my decisions in the kitchen. But I totally listen to him when it comes to the finances and how we operate as a business and how we put ourselves out there in the public eye and all those things that I'm not really that good at, and, and I'm learning, you know, but that's not my strength. And I don't my ego isn't at play here, obviously, cooking and being a kind of a public-profile chef has its ego moments. But for me, I'm much more concerned with making sure the business is successful, that we have happy employees, that everybody's working together, that we're growing, that we're, we're received well by the customers. At the end of the day, uh, it's all about the customer experience. It's not about who we think we are. Mm. And so um, for me, just a, a really tough experience was, was choosing uh, my partners not based on um, – my own personal success. It was, it was something else and it didn't work. And so, you know, you, you, my advice to anybody was if you're gonna, if you're gonna become partners, business partners with somebody, you have to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into for the long haul. It's, it's a lot like a marriage. And if you're not completely in love with that person, you might want to sec, you might want to take a step back and make sure it's really a good, good idea. So that, that's a, a great point, but I mean, dive into that a little bit deeper. I mean, what is, in your opinion, the keystone, the thing that holds it all together when it comes to finding the right partner? I mean, how do you uh, make sure you're on the same page? Like, what are some of the things you can do just to get that clarity on your vision and where you want to be in the roles of each person in the partnership? Uh, well, well, you just touched on it. I mean, making sure the roles are clearly defined. That's something that you want to discuss well before you start the business. Is it enough um, to discuss it, though? Or do you have to do anything further than that? Well, I mean, uh, it also comes down to respect. Like, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't look at a checklist every, every week and say, well, did you do this or did you do this? Uh, so much of it is mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of my mentors, Dave Query, who I worked with for, for, for years and years, uh, he's very successful, owns like 13 or 15 restaurants now. Um, he said to me, you only want to hire people and work with people who you would want to hang out with outside of work. Mm. And that's just his personal philosophy. And it means that, you, you know, you like that person. Mm. And so with, with your best friends, you're going to have fights, you're going to have disagreements, but you're going to see each other's point of view. If you end up in partnership with people that don't respect you or you don't respect them, you're not going to want to listen to each other. And you're going to think they just don't know what they're talking about or you'll you'll ignore their pleas. And if you start fighting, bickering or even worse, just ignoring each other it's never going to get better. And so for me, having a solid partnership is also having a, a good, tight friendship. But knowing where the boundaries are, you know, we we can call each other out. We can um, get mad at each other, but we we respect that and we resolve those issues as quickly as possible. And we don't let it fester. We don't we don't talk behind each other's back. That that to me that is really important too. Um, you know, people getting upset and and. Um, bitching about things. It happens in the restaurant every single day. You need to make sure you got to 
you got to get that stuff out real quick. If somebody's got an issue, if they're not happy, they need to voice it and it needs to be addressed immediately because as, uh, again, as some of my other mentors have mentioned, you know, bad, bad moods or bad talk is cancer in the restaurant business and it'll grow if you don't attack it immediately. So if somebody's got a problem with you or a problem with what you're doing, you need to, you need to hash it out right, right then and there. It doesn't matter how somebody feels about it. This isn't about personal feelings. And um, I guess that's ultimately it distills down to, I, I am really good at separating uh, my friendship from my work relationships. And I have lots of friends that work with me and for me, including my business partner. But when it's business, it's business. Mm-hmm. And when, when we're done with work, then we can have a beer and chat and we're good. And we don't bring this stuff up again. We've, we've already solved it. So are these, these core values that you have, uh, are they written someplace or did you work them into your business plan? So, you know, you know, this is what, these are our values. If there's an issue, we speak up, we don't, you know, suppress these things. We get it out there. We address these is, or is it just unspoken? Uh, it's combination. I do have a mission statement up in the kitchen. That's for the whole restaurant. That just kind of lists what I think are our core values as a mm-hmm. business and also the core values as employees, like what, what they need to strive for every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as like my partnerships go and our relationship with the investors, I mean, there are things written down, but mm-hmm. I think more importantly, it's, it's this understanding. And if, if somebody starts to veer away from what we think, you know, if we're not agreeing on, on what the deal is and where we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to act, then we sit down and we talk about it. But um, my partner, who had never been in the restaurant business before, but is a very successful business person, and, and he's done he's worn many hats in life, uh, we just had a heart-to-heart. We sat down and said, listen, you know, like, I don't, I don't want us to be that cliche where the rich business guy and the chef get together and then the, the business guy, I mean, it, I just, I just watched that movie chef the other day. And it's a classic example of what happens in restaurants where the owner has his own vision mm. and the chef wants to do what he's doing and they can't agree. Mm-hmm. And that ends up, that ends up failing all the time. Yeah. And you, you hear those stories a lot. So we had a very good understanding of where our, um, our, our strengths are and we're going to allow each other to, to play off those strengths and not get, any, getting, get in each other's way. Yeah, I think that that process of visioning and really committing your visions and your purposes and your missions and your core values and committing them to writing is so important because of that reason. Because I mean, you have this vision early on, but it's very easy for your visions, the, the different visions of the partners in the relationship to veer off course and go in their own way. But if you write it down, you commit to writing, then that's always that's your anchor, that's your center line. You can always come back to it and it's like hey we agreed on this in the very beginning and i think that's just a great lesson from this conversation yeah absolutely uh so we've crushed the first half of this interview you're doing awesome chef uh, we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back Today's sponsor is a business you can trust. If you've been in business for at least one year, have done over $100,000 in annual revenue, and have a 500 or better personal credit score, you meet the minimum qualifications to get a small business loan from On Deck. Anywhere from five dollars to $250,000 over a three to 24 month payback Period. If you're a fan of the show, you've heard our guest mentors say, a great path to success is through scaling, not to go huge out of the gates. On Deck is a great resource to allow you to scale and to grow over time and to stay fresh. To learn more, head over to the show notes page of this episode, find the On Deck logo, and get started. All right, let's get back to this interview. 
So we're back, and the first question I have for you is kind of a continuation of what we've already been talking about, and that's, what is your advice for getting that initial capital to get started? And I really love your story, just doing the research on you, because it seems like you didn't just, you know, shoot for the stars right away. Like, you, almost seems like you had a plan. Like, you really scaled from a food truck to catering, and now, I mean, I'll let you tell the story, but, like, what's, what's your advice for getting that initial start? Well, everybody's got their own path to take. You know, I wouldn't suggest that everybody goes out and starts a food truck and caters first before they do a restaurant. But um, if you don't understand business just as a business, you know, how businesses work, you definitely want to spend some time learning about that. Mm. And um, to me, slow and steady wins the race. I, I didn't feel like I needed to open a restaurant the second I had the chance to. I had a lot of offers, a lot of people wanted to connect, uh, but I wanted to make sure that my head was in the right place. Mm -hmm. Your head and your heart need to be in it, and you also have to have the talent um, and give up your personal life for a while. <laughs> <laughs> chefs, chefs give up their personal lives as it is. Uh, you know, We often work nights and weekends and holidays, and you have to give up a lot for that. It's, it's tough on relationships, it's tough on family. Uh, but then being a business owner, you, you end up with the same issues where you're always working. You know, I, I wake up, I'm thinking about work. I'm on the computer before I go into work. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm following up late at night, uh, again, with emails and phone calls and that sort of thing. So it never ends. And you need to make sure that you're in a place in your life where you can really dedicate to that. To me, that's equally as important as any other knowledge or business arrangement or capital or anything else. It's just your head and your heart have to be completely dedicated to it. Uh, being a chef, I, I always felt really dedicated, but I, didn't, I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I actually opened a restaurant. Um, doing catering and doing food truck was was still very commit, committing, and it was very, um, you know, just a lot of work, but it wasn't nearly as much stress and, and work and time as owning a restaurant is. And there's so many other things that come into play that you don't even consider. And so you really, really have to make sure you're ready for that. Um, now, as far as gaining, getting the capital, some people it's easier than others. Uh, some people have family money, or um, you know, they just they're just fortunate and they don't need to look very far. Other people, it's it's a bit more of a struggle. Um, but one thing I, I made sure of is to you know make sure that it's a good deal for me. Mm. That in the you know I, I my personal deal is different. I'm sure than a lot of other chefs. They you know we all kind of have our own tailored deal. Make sure you you take care of yourself. Um, either through, you know, making sure you pay yourself enough to live your life the way you need to live your life, um, or that you have a nice big reward at the end if the restaurant's really successful. Uh, I, I know a lot of chefs bust their tails and their owners, but they only have like 5% of their restaurant or something like that. And to me, that's just not, it's not worth it if you don't really have, have a, you know, a, a goal in mind for yourself. It's not just opening the restaurant, but this is your life. You're dedicating your entire life to it. And so you, you should get something out of it in the long run that's more than just a successful restaurant. You should also make sure that you're taking care of your life. Mm -hmm. And you, you do dedicate a little bit of time off for yourself. And, um, you know, you have to have that balance. Uh, but, uh, you know, as far as I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't pretend to be a finance guy or have a lot of knowledge or deep uh, background in how deals are set up. Uh, I, again, I feel really fortunate to have the business partner I have because I feel like it's mutually beneficial to, to myself as well as the investor pool uh, that everybody gets something good out of this um, we take care of our employees 
And, you know, I don't feel like um, I would change anything with the deal that I have. And now having said that, we've been really busy. We've been good. We've been getting a lot of awards. So our restaurant's doing really well. If, if we weren't doing well, if we were losing a lot of money, I might have a different point of view on how I set everything up. But uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a great team and, and, and a busy restaurant. And so I'm in a good place right now, and it feels really good, and I'm very honored and happy and um, you know, feeling great about everybody that's around me that's helped make Black Belly what it is. Uh, but I have been in restaurants that don't do well, and people start fighting. Yeah. So you want to make sure, again, as I said at the beginning, you take care of yourself too, because if it does turn ugly, uh, you want to make sure that you've got yourself covered. Yeah, and just to summarize some of the things I picked out from what you said is, you know, first, uh, get that knowledge, get that experience, and it seems like you were really intentional with the way you did that, going, getting these jobs, uh, trying to work with the best and learn from the best. And then what you did is you surrounded yourself with the people that you knew, the pieces of the puzzle you knew that you would need to be successful uh, with getting the right partners. And it sounds like you really built a name for yourself, too, because you didn't just come out of left field and open a restaurant. I mean, you you scaled up with that food truck, and then you started your catering business, and you, you got out there, you won awards and competitions, uh, and you got the money from Top Chef, or uh, yeah, Top Chef, right? It's a lot of yep. yeah, Top Chef, um, and that was a hundred thousand dollars there. So I mean, you really just put a lot of time and thought into the process, and you weren't. It didn't really seem like you were very sporadic with it. Uh, it seemed very intentional, and I think that's kind of what I, I took out of my research and just listening to you talk. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, very, very thought out and very intentional. And uh, like I said, you know, slow and steady wins the race. So, you know, there's no reason to jump right into something just because it sounds like fun. I mean, I I thought about this. Actually, there was a moment. This was another aha moment, if I can share this real quick. Oh, um, I was invited to this heirloom tomato festival in Sonoma, California. My buddy, Justin, who's the chef of um, Kendall Jackson uh, Winery. Mm -hmm. He does this really cool event every year. And this was in a period where I just won the show. I was traveling a lot. I was getting all kinds of offers and I was going all over the world. It was so much fun. I had the best time. Uh, but I, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, this is all going to end at some point. I'm not going to get paid to just go do cooking demos the rest of my life. I have to you know, settle in somewhere, mm -hmm. but I wasn't exactly sure what my next move would be. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to end up doing. And, um, we did this event and at the end of it, they invited all the chefs to this, this house on a winery, this beautiful piece of property. And they had it catered and it was a husband and wife team and they showed up and they had this just beautiful spread of food. And I started talking to them and they had a small farm and they were living in wine country and they raised everything that they brought. So they had made uh, like pork and beans, but they had raised the pigs to make the sausage and they had grown the beans and they had this hot sauce that they bottled, but they grew the peppers. And basically everything that they brought, they had raised on their own farm. And that was an aha moment for me it was just, okay, I want to be in control of everything, not because I'm a control freak, but because I want to know where everything came from and I want to be serving the best. And so I started doing some farming with a friend and we started raising pigs and lamb and growing some produce. And that's where the catering really took off. Um, but more so it's just the philosophy of like, we're dirt to fork and everything that we're serving in our restaurant, we know where it came from, whether we raised it or our friends raised it. Um, but I, I knew at that point, like that was the kind of direction I wanted to go in was to be, it, it's beyond farm to table. It's, it's, it's really having a say in everything that you serve. And so I was really 
excited and, and impressed with these guys. And so I, I started down the path of like, all right, how do I create this reality for myself? Um, you know, like having a, a piece in everything that, that we serve. I'm not just buying from purveyors. I'm, I'm actually growing the product that we're serving. And so all those other decisions, doing the catering, doing the farming, opening the restaurant, that all had stemmed from that philosophy of just knowing exactly what we're serving our customers and, and having a big hand in it. Yeah, I mean, how important is it to have something that just so just sings so much to your soul and, and to your purpose and just knowing that like so much of what you're doing, so much of your, your blood, sweat, and tears is going into that final project. I mean, is it so, is it impo- like, how important is that to you? Like, <laughs> I mean, you, you, <laughs> you're kind of answering the question for me. I mean, it's really important. It, it's, it's to me, that is being a true chef. Mm. It's not just ordering food, putting it in the oven and putting it on a plate. It's, it's really having relationships with people that are growing the product that, um, we can tell our customers a story about every ingredient that's on the plate. And to me, that separates us from a lot of restaurants. And that's why it's important to me. I think the word I was looking for is how important is it to have work that's fulfilling, to, that you know what I mean? To just have it be your soul going into everything, not just the cooking, but just the sourcing and helping your community and all those things just must make it so much more special. Absolutely. It's, it's much more special. And I think people in the community uh, resonate. It resonates with people. And so we're received really well because people know that we're committing to that that like mm. we're we're not just talking it's we're, we're walking the talk we're you know it's more work this way mm. it's a lot more work to raise your own pigs than it is to just buy pork it has to be so um, much more satisfying though i mean i can only imagine. It, it, it's much more satisfying but it's also it's not as lucrative it's it's a it's worse for our business for us to buy stuff from local farms or to grow it ourselves than it is to just buy from commodity markets like we we would make more money as a business, if we just bought stuff from Shamrock Foods, but we we want to do the right thing, we want to be able to, you know, look people in the eyes, our customers, and say, yeah, this came from a mile from here, yeah, you know, and and it, yeah, it costs us more, and we don't make as much money on it. We also have to have higher prices because of that. You know, we just we just spend a lot more money on our food than than a lot of restaurants do, and you know, at some point we have to charge a little bit for that, but. People really appreciate that, and we're keeping it in the community. We're keeping the dollars in the community. Um, we're, we're supporting local farms. We're supporting organic food. We're, we're trying to do everything the right way. And at the end of the day, really quality products like that actually taste better, and they you're providing a better product. So it should, in the long term, make us a busier, more successful mm-hmm. restaurant because people want if, – if we're serving the best, they'll recognize that and they'll pay for it. Absolutely. So you had alluded to this earlier. You said that, you know, you're just grateful for all the people you've surrounded yourself with that helped you get to where you're going. So how do you find those right people when you're hiring? What questions are you asking? What are you looking for? How are you surrounding yourself with all these great people? I mean, part of it's just been dumb luck. When we opened the restaurant, my um, chef de cuisine, Josh and I, we put out ads and we interviewed a lot of people and, um, the main line cooks that we hired are still with us a year later. Our core crew of cooks hasn't gone anywhere. I think they really appreciate what we're trying to do. They're part of it. They, they believe in it. Um, anybody can talk a big game in an interview. You know, anybody can lie on the resume. It doesn't take much to make yourself sound and look really cool, but it, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And so once we put people to work, we can tell quickly if they gel with us. Mm-hmm. We, we've only lost a few people along the way. A couple of people have gone on to do other things and 
we've had to let a couple people go, but um, generally speaking, our core is still intact. And um, so if you think part of that's just been luck, but I don't know. I, I think they, they, they know what they're getting themselves no, into, and they really, it, really into it. Is it dumb luck, or is it because you're doing something that's so authentic, so, tr- like, just good and so uh, so easy to get behind? I mean, is that one of the reasons why you think you have so many great people working for you is because of what you're doing is really, truly great? Well, yeah, I think people are drawn to what we're doing. They, they hear about it or they read about it and they, they want to get in on it. Um, as Again, as to quote one of my old bosses, we want them to drink the Kool-Aid. You know, <laughs> we want people working here that are feeling it, that, that are feel like they're part of something. And they're not. it's not just a job to them that, that what we're doing at the restaurant is important and it's, and it's different and it's new and it's, um, you know, we're not – by uh, by any means are we the only people doing this and we're not the only people serving great food but you know they want to work at a place that that has uh morals when it comes to the ingredients that they use that have um, a community mindset and uh, but then there's also the hard work we're a busy restaurant i expect a lot out of my cooks mm-hmm. you know, i expect a lot out of everyone and i'm constantly driving everybody for to do better and to to be perfect and um you know i learned that working for people like wolfgang puck and mm-hmm. kevin taylor that you gotta you gotta bust everybody's butt every now and then you know and you gotta really keep your foot on the gas because you're either as a business as a restaurant you're either getting better or you're getting worse and there's no in between and so i expect everybody to put in a lot and and they like that the cooks that are working for me they like hard work and they want to they want to you know banging out every day and so I, I i think we're we found that we were lucky enough to find people that have that same philosophy now you said internally you, you've only had a few people go on to do other things so you've had a really good retainment do you think part of that reason is because you're pushing people to to be greater to reach their full potential i mean how much of that uh, of just personal growth inside your your restaurant group with the people inside your restaurant group contributes to that retainment uh, i think everybody we're all pushing each other all the time and um you know they're they're there to be better and we're asking them to be better and and i think they're all they all feel like they're learning something so they stick around and they and they try to impress each other and impress me because they they want to get better Mm. and they know that their stock is rising every day they stay at the restaurant that they're becoming more valuable as chefs and as as employees and just as people and so we're culturing this environment that uh People feel like they're really not only a part of something great, but they're becoming greater by being there, and their their hard work is is paying off in knowledge. And so, they you know when they do go on to do something else, you know, open up their own place or take a, a chef job somewhere, that they're they're going to show up with a higher skill set than when they started working for us. Yeah, and I think you said that word culturing. Yeah, I think that's just a huge part of it. When you set that culture of uh, every day trying to be better, every day showing up just to learn something new, I mean, it, it makes coming to work uh, just so much more engaging because it's more than just a paycheck. It's, it's a comp- almost a competition between the people you're working with to you know to be among the best that's there and just to constantly try to contribute something more. And I think that's just so... Uh, impactful on, on the big picture. And uh, to move on, uh, what else are some of your other struggles? I mean, obviously, you know, one of the, the struggles that comes up often is employee retainment, but do you see any other struggles in this industry, something that you see coming down the barrel that you're kind of bracing for or preparing for or planning for? Uh, well, there's there's the everyday fears. You know, I, I always worry about people getting hurt. I worry about people showing up 
uh, you know, drunk or getting drunk at work or smoking weed because it is legal in Colorado. Uh, it's impossible for me to, to control what people do in their outside life, you know, and especially the evening employees. You know, I just, it is a college town and, and marijuana is legal in Colorado and it's impossible to know what you've been, what somebody's been doing before they show up. But my, one of my biggest fears is somebody's going to show up wasted and not, we, we won't notice. And then they start work and they get hurt. Mm. And they get hurt on the job, and they and they're under the influence of something. And to me, that's one of my biggest fears. I also worry every day about the restaurant burning down, or <laughs> we had the gas go out on us a month ago, uh, a little more than a month ago, and and the whole building, the gas, or sorry, the electricity it wasn't the gas, it was the electricity, and we didn't have power for a Saturday night for two days actually, and we had to move all our food, and so I'm constantly worried about all that kind of stuff. Um, so um, let me that, ask. I think that just goes. How, how yeah, do you deal with um, – I mean, what are some of the things you've done to kind of uh, confront that issue? I think it's an issue no matter where you are in the country, drug and alcohol. I mean, people in this industry tend to be very extroverted social people. They like to have fun. They, they like to engage with others. And a lot of the time that means going out, getting drunk or high the night before the, the, that morning. Like, who knows? Like, how do you, you know, confront that in your restaurant to kind of – you know, inhibit it or just to at least dampen it, the, the possibilities? Well, as I mentioned before, I was, I feel lucky that the people I hired are good people. And, mm-hmm. you know, the vast majority of our employees are very responsible and they, they wouldn't put any of us in that position. But mm-hmm. every now and then happens. And I, I, I can make an example of last week. We just celebrated our one year anniversary on third on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had a big party. We closed early and we opened late the next day so everybody could, could party and we threw a big party for the staff, and then a bunch of people ended up at a bar, a local bar, and you know people were getting loose, which mm. was fine. I, I, I escaped the party before it got completely out of hand because I didn't want to see anything that I didn't want to see. But um, the next day, everybody, you know, everybody's a little foggy, but I was fully expecting that. But one of my employees, who is only 21 and clearly couldn't candle the amount of booze she drank she tried to call in sick and i told her that i know i know i saw her at the bar last night and you're not sick get, get your ass to work and i sort of had to make an example of her mm-hmm. um she showed up and she was extremely hungover and she was still throwing up and she couldn't hold water down and she was pale and she was like crying and looked like hell but i made her stay because i wanted <laughs> i wanted her to, to know laugh, and i wanted but... everybody else to know like that you, you know you do this yourself on your own time you pay the price mm-hmm. and you're not going to bring the rest of the staff down because you don't know how to handle yourself, you know, yeah. with alcohol. So she worked, she worked and she, she was completely useless. We all knew it. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that she had to keep running outside and throwing up in a bucket out by the dumpsters, it was sort of torture and everybody felt really bad for her. But at the same time, I was, I was, I kept her because I wanted everybody to see that like, you know, this, this isn't okay. You yeah. know, you need to know, how to live your life to where you can show up for work. And if you can't work because you're hungover, you may very well lose your job. Yeah. So, and not to mention, you're going to have a miserable time. In the yeah. It was miserable. She was, she was in hell. She was, I totally thought she was going to quit at some yeah, point. During I know. She, she, she didn't. <laughs> I think that's a great lesson though. I mean, I think we can learn from that. You just having that standard of excellence and not being willing to budge and publicly showing everyone in on your team, like this is our standard of excellence and you need to, right. you know, we, we rely on you and you, you, we you know what I mean? Like you can't just do that. And I think that's a great way just to make an example. It's a tough love, but something, another lesson, you know, I keep going back to these lessons I learned. Um, 
from other bosses that I've had. And I think a lot of my philosophy, my the way I run my business is based on things I saw that worked where, mm. you know, in other places I worked. But um, I learned a long time ago that if you blow off work or if you don't do the right thing, um, it's not affecting your boss so much as it's affecting all your coworkers. So mm-hmm. if you decide that you're too hungover to work and you don't come in, you're not hurting the restaurant as much as you're hurting the people that are going to have to step up and do your job for you and do their job. Mm-hmm. And so I try to remind everyone that, that you know, this isn't you, – if you just decide to no-show one day or, you know, you just quit unannounced, um, you're really screwing over your coworkers, the other mm. cooks that stand side-by-side side with you every day, and it's not so much – the restaurant's going to move. It's going to be okay. It'll, it'll get by. It'll keep, keep moving. One person not showing up to work isn't going to close a restaurant. But it is going to make other people's lives hell. And so, you know, and it's also going to set that sure standard that it's, that it's yeah. okay. Once you break, once you let one person get away with it, like it, you're, you're subconsciously saying, you know, if you get into a bender the night before, like, yeah, you'll be able to get away with calling in sick. But you set that standard. Right. I think it's so important. So awesome stuff. I've got to find out what books you recommend to people looking to get in this industry because you said you're an intelligent guy. You said that you're always learning. So what's a must-read business book, personal growth book, or industry book that is just a must-read for somebody getting into this industry? Well, I mean, I read a lot of books just on food. Um, I have tons of you know books that I love for that. I think a great book is uh, Danny Meyer, Setting the Table. Mm-hmm. It's more about service than it is about being a chef. Um, but it's it's a really great read as far as like not just doing a good job, but always trying to do better. And always try to always trying to go above and beyond what people expect. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I employ is the under promise over deliver philosophy. We never tell people this is going to be the best restaurant you've ever been to. We never say this is going to be the best meal you've ever had. We'll say it's good, you know, and we work really hard to make it good. And then if you come in and you have this amazing experience, you're going to be blown away. But mm-hmm. if you come in thinking it's going to be the best experience you ever had, um, chances are you're going to get let down. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a very short read called uh, Raving Fans, and it's one of my favorite books. It's uh, it's, it's sorry, <laughs> no, I had, I had to get my car here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, it's it's not about restaurants at all. It's just about business. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh, going above and beyond people's expectations for you mm-hmm. and for your business. That's and if a- you can, you know, like blow people away uh, when they do, when they least expect it, then they're going to become fans for life. Awesome. Yeah, totally. Great stuff. So let's talk a little bit about some of the, the technologies that you're leveraging in your restaurant. When I talk about technologies, I'm talking about systems, processes, procedures that you can plug into your business to, to sh- you know, shrink the gaps to make a tighter run business. Are, are there any technologies or any apps or you're using your personal life that have had, you know, made you more productive, more proficient and more profitable? Well, we uh, we use a program called Schedule Fly, and it's um, it's more for schedules, as the mm-hmm. name might suggest. But it's um, it's also a logbook, and a lot of restaurants have this. There's different types of uh, logs, but whatever you do, you got to be really diligent with it. And so every day we take notes on the customers. If anybody had a bad experience or a great experience, or uh, who was in there for their anniversaries, that sort of thing. But also. It logs our daily sales, uh, what what was really selling well, what wasn't, um, just notes on the business. And I ask every manager 
whether or not they work that day, to read those notes every day. Mm. And that way everybody feels like they're really in tune with what's happening at the restaurant. Even if they're off for a week, I want them to be peeking at those notes, seeing what the sales were, um, you know, was something sent back a couple times in the same week because it didn't taste good, then maybe we need to revisit that dish. Or was something, you know, just so amazing that people are like, you got to keep this forever, et cetera, et cetera. But also the numbers, you know, where are we at? How are our sales doing? Are we getting busier this week? Are we getting slower? You know, what are our trends? Um, and then we have weekly sales meetings. Uh, I've got a lot of different parts to my business right now because we still do a lot of offsite catering. Uh, we have this market where we sell uh, butcher cuts in the mornings and we have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So there's a lot of moving parts to this restaurant. So I need everybody that's in management to really have a handle on everything that's happening. And so mm. we have a lot of meetings, and meetings can be tough sometimes. Um, I hate meetings personally, but it's a necessary evil Absolutely. when it comes to working. You can't just show up and do your job and not know where we're at as a business. Yeah, and I love that you leverage that uh, feature of ScheduleFly, the the manager's log. And I don't think enough people really do to really just improve communication and make sure all of your managers are on the same page. It's right there, no excuses. And I think that's a cool feature that not enough people leverage when they use ScheduleFly. So yeah, absolutely. And then there's another piece of technology that we use called um, um, uh, Gather that we just started using, and it's more for the catering department. But it's amazing because it's got this interactive calendar. And you can click on a day of the calendar, and it pops up. Like the menus pop up, the schedule pops up, and my whole catering crew just loves it because it's it's mobile, and you can be on your phone, and you can check gather and see what's coming up next week. Uh, it's it's been really helpful for our whole catering side. Instead of having these clipboards hanging in the kitchen, you can look on your phone and see what's coming up next week and know what to order and schedule your life around those events. Awesome. You said that's gather G A T H E R. Yeah. Awesome. That's the first time mentioned on the show. I'll have that in the show notes. Um, all right. So we're almost done. We're about to wrap up. What is one piece of business advice, like your best business advice, if you could go back in time when you just made the, the realization that you hate your desk job and you want to work full-time in the industry, I mean, what's one piece of advice you'd go back and give yourself if you could? Give myself? Yeah. Uh, man, it depends on how far back I go because I, you know, I took I took a lot of jobs early on because I wanted to learn and wanted to become a great chef. And maybe these things did put me in the place I'm at. But I did take some jobs for maybe a little bit less than I should have agreed to. Um, I lived I lived uh, broke for many years as a cook because I was more interested in the job than I was in what I was getting paid. And looking back on it, I probably kind of fight fought for a couple more dollars <laughs> over time. Um, and to not have been quite so broke, uh, you know, taking the bus everywhere and everything. But at the end of the day, I guess it all, it all evens out. Um, uh, trying to think of something. I've never been asked that question. Like if I could go back in time and well, what's just one, something, what's one piece of business advice you'd give our listeners if they're listening right now? Um, I, I think it's always good before you get into an agreement to stop and take a few steps back and really listen to your gut because, mm. When you make when you make business decisions that it's a business you're a part of, you're going to affect your entire life with that decision, and you really have to know that it's the right thing to do. And you know, if you have any second thoughts about it, you you need to really consider that. Awesome stuff. And if there is one question I could have asked you to bring more value to this interview, what would it have been? 
I don't know, man. You give a pretty good interview. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to think something that you should have asked. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's um, – we didn't talk a whole lot about, like, front of house management. I've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, the chef and the kitchen perspective. Yeah. We didn't really dip into, you know, who I choose to manage my restaurant. Um, but that. So who do you I, choose? I also believe – like, what are you looking well, for? Well, I also believe that, um, you know, great food will never make up for poor service, but mm-hmm. great service will make up for bad food. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to recognize your servers and your entire front of house team uh, as, as an extremely important part of restaurant business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times chefs don't give respect to the floor, and they're the ones out there selling the food. And if they're not doing a good job, people aren't going to want to come back. Mm. And to me, I have to remind my cooks of that all the time that, you know, there is some uh, income equality, inequality in the restaurant business. And there's, you know, there's, there can be strife at times. We don't have much at our restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, partly because we're an open kitchen. You just can't be fighting. But um, you have to remember that the servers are the ones that are interacting with the customers. And it doesn't matter how good our food is. We have to have great service. Absolutely. Great stuff. That's all I have for today. You've been awesome. I mean, at the end of every episode, I have my guests call somebody out. That's how I got in touch with you. Uh, the folks over at Why Am I Having a Brain Fart? <laughs> oh, Dolores over at Working Class? Yes, Dolores over at Working Class. She connected me with you. She said I had to get you on the show, and I'm happy I did get you on the show. You've been awesome. But who's one person in this industry you admire and think would just make a great guest mentor on the show like you have for us today? Uh, is this local or anywhere? Anywhere. Global. Uh, my buddy, Ryan Scott, he would be a fantastic guest on your show. He's out of San Francisco. Uh, he owns a couple restaurants. He does some TV. He's He shills himself out for QVC. He's a... Uh, He's, he's an interesting guy, but he's very full of energy, so you should definitely talk to him. Ryan Scott, look up, man. I'm coming after you. And let the folks listening in know how we can connect with you. If they want to continue the conversation, maybe they want to come work for you over at Black Belly. Maybe you've inspired them with what you're doing. How can we connect? Uh, well, for potential cooks, the best thing to do is just stop on by, come through the kitchen, and bring your resume. Uh, Anybody that wants to reach out, go to our website, blackbelly.com. You can email me at hosea at blackbelly.com. And uh, come in for dinner. It's yeah. the best way to see what we do. Any social feeds you want to share? Oh, uh, we're at blackbellyco, both on Twitter and Instagram. Our Facebook page is blackbelly, uh, Black, blackbelly market. I can't remember if it's just blackbelly or blackbelly market. <laughs> um, so those are the ways to find us, yeah. Believe it's Black Belly Market. Let me double check. We'll figure it out later. You've been awesome, Chef. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show uh, to share Absolutely. your experiences with us, your stories with us. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Cheers. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much, Chef Jose Rosenberg. You were awesome, man. Great advice in today's episode. And what really stood out to me is something that happens a lot on this show is just the humility and just humbleness of these people. And they don't know how great they are. And when I ask them about retainment and why people are staying with them, they just say it's luck. I mean, we get all these great people because it's luck. Well, it's not luck. It's because they have created something that is so just 
awesome to be a part of that people I mean today it's not enough just to open a business and expect people to work for you and be happy like you need to do something special and these people are doing something truly special uh, and that's why the alarm is going off hold on Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. The smoke detector was going off. Or doing some baking, making some pies, getting ready for the holiday, uh, Thanksgiving holiday week here. Um, like I was saying, uh, these people, they attract greatness to them because of what they stand for. Their purposes, their whys are so just worthy of the attention of other people. And uh, when you do great things, you attract greatness. So be great. And that's what we're learning. Use these episodes to... You see examples of greatness, and what are you doing in, in your community, or what could you be doing in your community that's not being done to, to become great, to really stand out, to get greatness behind you? Uh, so, yeah, that that said, I think we can wrap up today's episode, and I'll, I'll wrap up just by leaving some quick reminders. Please support the show. There's a few ways you can support the show. The easiest way is just to go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio, leave a five-star review. There's links in the show notes. This is episode 193. Get over to Restaurant Unstoppable slash 193. You'll find the links. Leave a review. That really helps. Uh, that social proof, that, sh- that social evidence really helps the show. Also, just if there's a product or service you learn about, I'll head to the show notes and use those links or just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash tools for a complete list of all the products and services our successful guests are leveraging and implementing in their businesses. Not only is it a list, but it's also, you know, who's using this. It's the proof that these tools are working and they're recommended by the best in the industry. Um, so yeah, use those links. It really helps the show. And then also lastly, if you want to support the show, just tell people about it. Spread the word. This is a free resource. Uh, it's a melting pot of mentors. Who do you know uh, that you think could benefit from this resource? Send them over to restaurantunstoppable.com so we can start learning together. Let's really build a community uh, about doing things the right way. Independent restaurant owners uh, working to support their community, to be great, to have an impact on their community, uh, to be mentors. Uh, that's that's what we're all about. So support the show just by spreading the word. I'll shut up now. Thank you guys so much for listening. Becoming unstoppable. We can't do it without you. <laughs> Until next time, peace out.